Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. About a month or two ago, after kind of a, a family event, one of my family members sent me a few pictures from the time together, and I looked at one of those pictures and was just kind of blown away because when I looked at that picture of myself, I saw my dad. Anybody else ever had that happen? <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like wonderful and, and terrifying at the same time. Because <laughs> on the one hand, it's like, look, and it's like, oh, man, Chad, you look like your dad, <laughs> which means, Chad, you don't look like you anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, like, it's like time is passing. But on the other hand, it was like really kind of cool. It's like, hey, that's, that's my dad. My dad was and continues to be a hero to me. So that, that was kind of cool. And then I was showing the picture to Rhonda hours, maybe even days later. And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, it hit me like this wave of grief that I wasn't expecting. My dad died 22 years ago after a two-year battle with cancer. 22 years ago. That's a long time. And I'm over it until I'm not. And then it just, man, it hit me. And I got thinking about him and how much he's missed, how much I've missed him. Like on, on a regular, he died in 1996, two years before we moved to Toledo. On a regular basis, the thought comes to my mind, I sure wish I could have introduced you to my dad. Because he was such a tremendous person. And these waves just hit at, at, at just the funniest times and in, in the strangest ways. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Today, we are going to talk about this subject, death messed me up. Now, we've been looking and kind of working our way through Paul's experience with the church in a city called Corinth. So we started in Acts chapter 18, and what happened to Paul there, and we talked that message about stress and how stress messed me up. And then we worked through the first seven chapters in 1 Corinthians, and we talked about how conflict messed me up. Then we worked through kind of the second half, the next seven chapters in 1 Corinthians, and we talked about how church messed me up. Today, we're going to start kind of with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, work our way through chapter 5. If you've been reading along with us, we'll read the rest of the book of 2 Corinthians this week. And there's this like, kind of like underlying theme where Paul talks about the brevity life, where he talks about death, where he talks about the subject of resurrection. And even though it's not blatantly there, it is, it is woven through everything that Paul says, especially in these first five chapters that we see in the book of 2 Corinthians. And as we were planning this and kind of mapping out this series of messages, there was this idea of how do we speak about death, because Paul does. And why is it that death messes us up? I've known more people to make unwise decisions in seasons of grief than in any other time in their life. Death has an ability, when we confront it, when we come face to face with it, to have a tremendous impact on our lives. And if I'm really honest with you, as I was kind of preparing this message, I was really kind of overwhelmed by the whole thing because there was this part of me that just 
because there's so much uncertainty and there's so many questions that come with this, I just kind of wanted to open up and throw out every scripture on death and life after death and let's walk through every one of them. And I thought, you know, we actually have three services on a Sunday. It could just be one long sermon, right? I thought about that. Doesn't make sense. So we're, we're not gonna try to do a whole theology of death and the afterlife. Today, I just wanna look at a few passages of what Paul says about this subject 2 Corinthians, and we're going to go back into 1 Corinthians, and then at the end of the service, we're going to spend some time at the Lord's table today and have a time of communion. But I want to jump in just two verses that we're going to kind of launch out of. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Three things that I hope you'll see out of this passage that we're gonna look at today. Here's the first one. Number one, God comforts us. Number one, God comforts us. One of my big concerns about this message is that it would just sound cliche, right? That it would just sound like, you know, every Hallmark greeting card that goes out that says sympathy on it. And I was hoping that God's word would allow us to dig deeper than that. And the place where we start is by just recognizing that in those times when we're grieving, God comforts us. Just look at how he describes himself here. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of comfort. And you see this here. He talks, Paul does, about God in very specific ways. He refers to him as God. And so if you're in a point of grieving, if you're in a point where you need some, some comfort in your life, and we're going to talk specifically about death, but I'm going to guess, especially at the holidays, there's a lot of other things that can cause us to see loss in our lives. It could be divorce. It could be a change in, in where you live. It could be a change in your job that somehow you're experiencing some kind of grief in this season. And if you're in a season of grief, remember this, that he is God and he's the God of comfort. And when we talk about God, that's not just what's on his business card. It's who he is. He's the creator of everything. He's the one that sustains life. He's the one that is sovereign. And the Bible also says that he is filled with mercy, that he is filled with grace, that he loves us in a perfect way. He is God. And it also says that he is the father of compassion. And I don't know what kind of earthly father you may have had, but he's a perfect father who knows how to care for us, who knows how to guide us, to nurture us, to love us, that wants the best for us. And so many times when we're in seasons of grief, one of our first responses is to seem to have an issue with God, to point fingers at God, to get mad at God. And we forget that in the midst of when we're all fired up because of our grief, that God is still the same. He is still sovereign and he is always good. He is a God to us and he is a father to us. And in the moment of your grief, remember that we find comfort in the person of God. We find comfort in the person of God. Too many people I know, when they get to a point of disappointment in their life, they want to push God away. And in doing that, they push away the only thing that truly gives us stability and a foundation for our life. In a God who loves us and is a perfect heavenly father. Because grief will come to us in some ways. This, this God and Father comforts us, Paul says, in our troubles. And you will have trouble. 
Sorry if I just broke that to you. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, time out for just a minute. Let's just be honest about something. Paul just said that whatever you're going through, Paul just said that your trouble, that your problem, that your grief, that your disappointment, he just called it light and momentary, which makes me go, easy for you to say, Paul. Some friend of mine you are. <laughs> the pain I'm facing, the hurt I'm dealing with, the loss I've experienced, the emptiness, the coldness, you're saying it's light and momentary because it doesn't feel light and it's not been momentary. And to us, it doesn't feel that way. The deal is Paul has to help us to get perspective here to see things not just in the moment in which we live, but in the big picture of time. Let's go back to our Bible verse already in progress. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Earthly things are temporary. Sometimes it's helpful for me to remember that, that the things that I have, the things that I own, these earthly things are temporary. This body that you and I have is an earthly thing, and it's temporary because someday it's not going to last. Maybe think of it this way. Have you ever gotten a, a new car or maybe a car that's new to you? And don't you want to baby that thing? Don't you want to make sure it's all good and you protect it from any kind of harm or any kind of damage or any kind of scratch? And then you walk out of the grocery store and you see that some pagan parked next to you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and they did not protect your car in the same way. And there's just, there's like this, there's this loss of, man, I, I, I was taking care of that thing. I knew I could keep it new forever. I am going to keep this new forever. Does it ever work? We, we just did all this renovation down on the south end of the building, the, the new kids area that we just did down there. And if you've not been down there, it's beautiful. And, and the team did a great job, and, and it just it looks great. And we had this big event a while back, and we were cleaning up afterwards, and we had all these tables we had to move and take them back down to that end of the building. And so I was helping out. We're moving things. So I had this one table all by myself because my body may be temporary, but it works mighty fine, right? And so, so I'm carrying this table all by myself, and I get down there, and I realize that as I'm carrying it, like the stack of tables is this way, and I need, to, I need to swing the table so that the legs are going in the other way. So they're, they're over here. Stop shaking your head. Let me finish this story. So, so I got the legs over here. So I got to move them over here. Are you with me? Okay. So as I'm moving them, there's the corner of the door frame right here, or the wall, like the corner of the wall right there. And I said to myself, I have enough clearance to crack. And I got the very tip of that table right into the very tip of that corner and chipped off a whole bunch of that wall. The pastor just broke the church, <laughs> right? And so in that moment, I'm like standing there. And I thought to myself, nobody saw that. <laughs> and then I looked, and a friend of mine was coming down the hall. I could have said somebody did that. Now I have to say some pastor did that, right? I just got to narrow it down, right? But I had to fess up, and it's fixed, and it looks as good as new now. But do you know who knows it's not right? Me. And I wanted it to stay nice and new forever. And between, you know, me busting up the corner and your 
dirty little kid's hands, it doesn't stay nice and new forever. <laughs> right? Sorry about that. Because earthly things are temporary. Side note, do you know why we have those areas down there? So your dirty little kid's hands will have their heart touched and they get to know Jesus, right? That's, I, I probably need to clarify that just a little bit. Um, look, earthly things are temporary. They're not going to last forever. So here's the news. That means that death comes to us all, like every one of us, because your body is temporary. Here's what scripture says. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. All of us, short of the rapture, which is a, is a whole other subject that we won't get into today, we are destined to die. It's going to happen to each one of us. Death comes to us all. So when death comes, we grieve. And when we grieve, God says he will comfort us. That initial grief... That loss, that pain, I think it's the same for all of us. But there's different facets to it, depending on a person's relationship with Jesus Christ. I think, and, and I just throw this out there, that, that maybe we have, a, we have a presupposition here. We believe that based on someone's personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it determines what effect has on their life after death. Does that make sense? Your relationship with Jesus in this life determines what happens in the next life. And so what happens if you're grieving someone and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're pretty sure that they're not. How do you grieve for someone who you think did not know Jesus? That's a, that's a tough thing. And it can be a place of deep grief. What do we do in those moments? I guess I would just encourage you with this. If you're, if you're grieving the death of what we might call an unsaved loved one, just know that you never really know the state of another person's soul. It's easy for us to make assumptions, and we want to judge people based on the fruit in their life, but you never know the state of another person's soul. What you know is, if you go back to the story of Jesus on the cross, do you remember the thief that he welcomed into eternity with him, into paradise with him? that Jesus has a track record of not judging people by their fruit, but acknowledging grace with their hearts. Does that make sense? And so know this, you never know the state of another person's soul, and know this too. I'm quick to judge a situation and grieve based on what I think to be the fruit in another person's life, when maybe what I need to do is ask for comfort based on the character of God. And I think this is important for us. This is something to think about when you're talking about the subject of did someone know the Lord or not? And oftentimes when someone takes their own life, this comes into play. But remember this passage, Genesis chapter 18, verse 25 says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? God is a God who describes himself as being rich, abundant in mercy, that he is a God of love and of grace. And if that's what's in his character, then I have to be willing to say the God of all the earth will do what is right. And at some point, I have to release that other person into the hands of someone who loved them more than I ever could and entrust them to the Lord. Instead of me just grieving based on what I think is the character of that person, we find comfort in the character of God. We find comfort in the character of God and who he is. Now, let's, let's take this another step. What if the person you are grieving was a follower of Christ? What if they were someone who, who you can know with some certainty 
would have found themselves in heaven because what we believe is that when a person dies, a person either goes out of the presence of God or they go into the presence of God forever. And here's what Paul says about this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. So here's what Paul says. When we die, even though our physical bodies remain here, the spiritual part of us goes to be with the Lord. So we are away from the body and at home with the Lord in those times. And he uses this analogy earlier. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Does anybody remember when Paul was in Corinth in Acts chapter 18? How did he pay the bills? What was his day job? Does anybody remember? He was a tent maker. That was the term. He made tents. And tents were a big deal. They, they weren't a permanent structure. They were a temporary structure. And in Corinth, you would have seen a lot of tents. Because if you remember, it was a port city. There was a lot of shipping trade that went through there, which meant there were a lot of sailors. And there was no Hampton Inn, right? So when the sailors came, they would pitch tents. They would put up these temporary structures to live in. Once every two years, the, the region of Corinth would host what was called the Isthmian Games. It rivaled and actually was greater than the Olympics in those days. It was the premier sporting event of that time. And when people would come from all over the world, do you know where they would stay? They would stay in? This, this is an interesting message because it's not an easy one. It's intense. <laughs> just trying to wake you up. I'm just trying to wake you up. Okay? So when he used this image of tents... Paul was giving something that they were familiar with. They had seen these temporary structures. They had probably even seen a tent collapse on somebody. Have you ever been camping when somebody's tent collapse? It's hilarious. Unless it's your tent, right? And he says, you live, your body is a temporary structure. Someday you will have a beautiful home. Not temporary, but permanent. It's going to be created by God. And he's telling them that there is this process, there is this thing that happens where we will be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You'll be in God's presence. When someone we love dies, and this promise is true for you as well, and they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, they go to be in his presence. Their physical suffering is over. They await the resurrection body. We'll get to that in just a few moments. And when we grieve, we find comfort in the promises of God. Look, I, I know that grieving is real. And for some reason, November and December amplify it. It's these seasons where we're reminded in so many ways. And the Bible tells us that we can find comfort in God's promises. Bob Russell was a pastor of the great Southeast Christian Church in Kentucky for years, and he told the story of how his father passed away, and his father's funeral was held on a cold, blustery day in Pennsylvania. 
the roads were too bad for cars to go to the cemetery after the service. And so the funeral director said, Bob, I'm, I'm just going to take the body there myself. And he, he didn't like the idea of that. And so he gathered his brother and their sons, and they all hopped into an SUV, and they, they made their way following the hearse to the cemetery. Here's, here's what Russell wrote about his experience. He said, we plowed through 10 inches of snow into the cemetery. We got about 50 yards from my dad's grave with the wind blowing about 25 miles per hour. And then the six of us lugged that casket down to the gravesite. We watched the body lowered into the grave and we turned to leave. I felt something was undone, so I said, I'd like for us to have a prayer. The six of us huddled together, Russell said, and I prayed, Lord, this is such a cold, lonely place. For some of you, your grieving can best be described by those two words. You feel like in the midst of your loss, you are in such a cold, lonely place. Russell goes on to say, and then I got too choked up to pray anymore. I kept battling to get my composure. And finally, I just whispered, Lord, this is such a cold, lonely place. But thank you, for we know to be absent from the body is to be safe in your warm arms. In times of grieving, God comforts us. That's the first thing Paul shows us. Here's the second thing we see in this passage. Number two, God helps us comfort others. God comforts us, and then number two, God helps us comfort others. Author Edgar Jackson has written about grief, and I thought this was really helpful. Let me read it to you. His description of grief is that grief is a young widow trying to raise her children alone. Grief is the man so filled with shocked uncertainty and confusion that he strikes out at the nearest person. Grief is a mother walking daily to a nearby cemetery to stand quietly and alone a few minutes before going about the tasks of her day. She knows that a part of her is in the cemetery, just as a part of her is in her daily work. Grief is silent, knife-like terror and sadness that comes a hundred times a day when you start to speak to someone who is no longer there. Grief is the emptiness that comes when you eat alone after eating with another for many years. Grief is teaching yourself to go to bed without saying goodnight to the one who has died. Grief is the helpless wishing that things were different when you know they are not and never will be again. Grief is a whole cluster of adjustments, apprehensions, and uncertainties that strike life in its forward progress and make it difficult to redirect the energies of life. And for some of you, some of that struck really close to home, which is why Paul says, go back to our text, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When someone else is grieving, God has called us as their brothers and sisters in Christ to express comfort to them. And understand this, when we do that, when we express comfort to someone who is grieving, we are actually modeling the person of God himself. There's this familiar passage, Psalm 116, verse 15, that says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. 
precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. And what God is saying there is that he does not take death lightly, that he oversees it, that he's there to care and make sure that people are cared for even in those moments. He sees the value in death and how it opens up life for a person on the other side of that. Know this, God is not distant in our death. So many times when we're confronted by grief or we're confronted by death or we're confronted by loss or we're confronted by disappointment or we're confronted by frustration, whatever that is, I think so many times we think that God is far from us when actually those are the moments when God is right there with us. He cares about us. If you wonder about this, there's this interesting story in John chapter 11. If you've not read it, I'd encourage you to read it. It's about Jesus and his friend Lazarus. And Lazarus has been sick and they send for Jesus. They say, your friend is sick. Won't you come? But Jesus delays. He, he doesn't go right away. And he, Lazarus has a, a, two sisters, Mary and Martha. They're all some of Jesus' closest friends. And when Jesus finally gets there, Lazarus is dead. Are you familiar with this story? Like he finally gets there and Lazarus is dead. And Martha's like, why didn't you come? And Mary's like, why didn't you come? And it's because Jesus knows what's going to happen. Spoiler alert, dead Lazarus comes back. Hallelujah, right? Like he comes back out of the grave. But they don't know this yet. And so Jesus is with them. And when he sees Martha and Mary grieving, watch what happens. John chapter 11, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five, 35, shortest verse in all the Bible. All of you just memorized a Bible verse. <laughs> Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus knew how this story was going to end. <laughs> Like he knew that death was gonna turn into life. And yet when he saw the grief of Martha and Mary, he was deeply moved. And that's not just, he kind of wiped the corner of his eye wept. In the Greek, that is, that is an emotional response. That is a deep reaction. Jesus wept. He was right there alongside of them. Please know this, Jesus is moved by our loss. When you weep, he weeps right there with you. He is moved in those moments, which is why he says to each one of us that we are comforted so that we can comfort those in any trouble. God desires to work through us to comfort others. God desires to work through us to comfort others. And I think this is important. Romans chapter 12 says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and that we are to weep with those who, anybody? <laughs> weep. That we're to come alongside those who are grieving and to grieve with them, to be there with them. And yet too many times, I'm quick to just kind of push through life and miss out when someone else is hurting on an opportunity that God has given me to minister to them and to comfort them and to come alongside of them. Oftentimes because I think we minimize what people are going through. And maybe you've never suffered deep loss. Or maybe it's been so long ago that you've forgotten some of that. Or maybe you're just so busy about your own life that it's tricky for us to remember what others are going through. But people have heartbreak in their lives. The Bible uses that term, the broken heart. We use that kind of emotionally, that they have a broken heart. 
But now medicine has acknowledged it. Johns Hopkins University has now identified a medical condition called stress cardiomyopathy that's also called broken heart syndrome. It shows that tragic or shocking life events, including the loss of a loved one, a car accident, armed robbery, a fierce argument, can cause a sudden surge in adrenaline that weakens heart muscles, that it looks like a heart attack in the sense that EKGs are abnormal, that blood work is abnormal, but there's no arteries that have blockages. It's this emotional pain that literally stuns people's hearts. And they've done research to find out that the same regions of the brain that signal physical pain are activated when emotional pain, such as grief or rejection, is felt. So, so this is really important. When someone's going through loss, there's, there's a literal act of physiology. There's, there's physical heartbreak that can happen in that same time. And we need to be aware of that and watch for that. How is God calling us to help other people to walk through those seasons of loss? The reality is that many times we don't know what to do with someone else's grief. Now, this isn't, this isn't complaining on my part. It's just an observation that our family watched something unique happen when my dad went through his two-year cancer battle and then when he passed away. We found out that some of the people that before that, who had been some of our closest friends, people that we had relationships with, people that our lives were connected with, in those times of our grief, they distanced themselves from us. It was really interesting to watch, and we had to ask, our, what, what did we do? Was it something that we said? What, what is it that somehow people have separated themselves from us? And you have this tendency to think that maybe it's a status thing, or maybe it's some kind of personal thing, when oftentimes what I've come to figure out, and just watching this even as a pastor, is that oftentimes when you're in a season of grief, other people just don't know what to do. And because of that uncertainty, because they don't know what to say, they don't know how to respond, there's this discomfort that comes, or maybe life is just speeding on, and your life is moving ahead while other people are frozen in their grief. Does this make sense? So like, it's important for us to think about it in these moments. Here's why. Because grief is real. And too many times we're prone to think that people can just kind of, just, you just got to get on the other side of this thing. And sometimes it's not that easy. Look, I, I want to I just read a couple of things to you, some helpful things that I came across in preparing for today. If you're in a season of grief or you know someone else who's in a season of grief, one of the great theologians of our time is a guy named J.I. Packer. Packer wrote a book on, on like a theology of grief from both a biblical and a personal standpoint. And in that, he gave 10 tips for grieving the loss of a loved one. Let me read just a few of them to you. He encourages, do not let your grief loosen your grip on the goodness and grace of your loving Lord. He also says, and here's his tip, cry. And then in parentheses, there is nothing biblical or Christian or indeed human about the stiff upper lip. Tell God your sadness. Avoid well-wishers who think they can cheer you up but thank God for any who are content to be with you and do things for you without talking at you. Talk to yourself about the loved one you lost. Do not try to hurry your way out of the inner weakness you are feeling. Grieving takes time. Now, how about for some of us that, that may be in a position where God can use us to bring comfort to others? 
Pastor Rick and Kay Warren, Pastor Saddleback Church out in Southern California, and several years ago, their, their son took his own life. In the midst of that process of grieving, this is what Kay Warren wrote. She wrote, the truest friends and helpers are those who wait for the griever to emerge from the darkness that swallowed them alive without growing afraid, anxious, or impatient. They don't pressure their friend to be the old familiar person they're used to. They're willing to accept that things are different, embrace the now scarred one they love, and are confident that their compassionate, non-demanding presence is the surest expression of God's mercy to their suffering friend. They're okay with messy and slow and few answers, and they never say move on. We, we want to be able to have all the right words when sometimes it's just that act of kindness when you bring a meal. Sometimes it's just that text message that says, hey, I'm praying for you. Sometimes it's just your presence, not your words, not your actions, just your person that speaks volumes to that person who is grieving. And Paul tells us here that God comforts us and that God comforts others through us. And here's a third thing that I hope you'll see from Paul's words today. Number three, we have hope. Number three, we have hope. Oftentimes, in the midst of our grieving, in the midst of our, our seasons where we wrestle with loss, we struggle with how we are to respond. In just a moment, we're going to go to the Lord's table, and, and so we're, we're preparing for that right now. And as we go to the Lord's table, the thing that I hope you'll see for that is this, that we have hope. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as Paul's writing this about comfort, he, he comes to this conclusion, verse 7, and our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. For anyone that grieves, there's a deep sense of loss. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we know that we can find a sense of hope even in the midst of our grieving, even in the midst of our disappointment, even in the midst of our loss, that God is able to bring us hope in those times. And it's not just based on, on wishful thinking. You know, sometimes we could be inclined to just think, well, I've just got a message of hope, or I just heard somebody cheer me up, or I got some kind of a spiritual pep talk. Look, our hope goes so much deeper than that. Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If our hope in Christ is just in this life, he says, then you just pity us because it doesn't matter a whole lot. He says our hope goes far beyond this. And if you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's what they call the resurrection chapter. It's where he talks about how Jesus died and was resurrected so you and I after death will also be resurrected. There will come a day, the Bible says, when we will be reunited with a new and heavenly body and this resurrection will happen to us as well. Here's the truth. We have hope because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you're grieving that lost loved one, remember that you have hope because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you're face to face with your own mortality, I think there comes a certain point in life where that just kind of hits us at some point. For me, it wasn't all that long ago. I'd, I'd performed a funeral and I was standing there at the head of the casket at the end of the funeral. You know, people kind of file up and they walk by. 
I was just kind of standing there. And all of a sudden, I just kind of looked over at the casket. And this thought ran through my head. You're going in one of those someday, Chad. Well, there's wishful thinking, isn't it? Like, but sometimes it just hits us. Sometimes it comes with such fear. In those moments, remember, we have hope because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I read a story about a family who got a phone call from the highway patrol that said that their son had died in a tractor-trailer collision on the highway. And it was right for them to think this because they found his driver's license for some reason in that vehicle. Well, their son, whose name was Freddie, was living with their other son, whose name was Chris. And so they called Chris right away and said, Chris, Freddie's died. So Chris runs downstairs, and when he does, he sees this lump on the couch, kind of all covered up. And he goes over, and he pokes it. And Chris pokes this lump on the couch, and Freddie sits up. And Chris looks at his brother, and he goes, you're dead, you're dead. And he goes, I'm just sleeping. Which should be every Christian's response, isn't it? Because at some point, this temporary body we have is going to stop breathing. And they're going to say, he's dead. She's dead. And you know what our response is? I'm just sleeping. Because I have hope. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed, with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not familiar with this story, Jesus, God's son, came and walked on this earth and he never sinned. And yet he was convicted to die on a cross and he gave his life and by his death, he not only paid the price for your sins and my sins, that's why we can know forgiveness. Some of you, your greatest need is forgiveness and peace and mercy and grace in your life. It can be found because Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for your sins, but he didn't stay dead. In his death, then he was resurrected, thus conquering death. And as a result, he changed everything for us. Jesus' death and resurrection brought death to death and life to me. We just sang that in that song a few minutes ago. That through what Jesus did for us, he conquered death and he brings life to us. And it's this powerful truth. So whether you are grieving or whether you are wrestling with your own mortality, know this, we find comfort and we find hope through what God did for us through Jesus Christ. The problem is, Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that death is our enemy, that he comes after us, that death is looking for us. Death makes a lot of noise and it raises a lot of questions and it raises a lot of fear in our lives. And so how do, we, how do we deal with that? Last month, there were some law enforcement officers in the nation of India who were chasing after a wanted criminal that had a bounty on his head of $34,000. So there's a motivation to find him, right? They hunted him down, and as they did, they chased him to where he went and hid in these bushes. Well, they had him surrounded. He, he was kind of in this spot 
they knew they had him there and they did not want to let it get him away and they were trying to get him to kind of come out so they decided we're going to fire a warning shot and so they went to fire this warning shot and when they did the gun jammed it wouldn't work and they were worried that this guy would get away and when the gun wasn't working one of the police officers instead started going bang 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 <laughs> and i don't know all the details but they caught the guy <laughs> doesn't that remind you of death that at one point was so deadly and had such sting when jesus died and was rose again that gun got jammed and that bullet doesn't fly anymore because Jesus defeated death but death still makes a lot of noise and still scares us in so many ways and brings grief that is very real and yet we hold on to a hope that because of Jesus death and resurrection he brought death to death and he brings life to us I'm going to invite the ushers to come at this time, and we're going to prepare to come to the Lord's table. Because as we wrap up today, today's a good day for us to remember what Jesus did for us. Jesus instructs us that there should be times when, as his people, we come and we share together in what we would call communion or the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder of his death and how he paid the price for our sins. And when Paul writes about this, he says this to us, said, and whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So today, I would encourage you to examine yourself. Take a moment and consider, am, am I right with God? Do I need his forgiveness today in some way? Today, do I need to affirm or reaffirm him as my savior and as my Lord? Or maybe today as you examine yourself, one of the things that strikes you is you say, God, I need, I need your comfort today. Jesus, I know you died to defeat death, so would you bring your comfort and your grace to me? Or maybe God's speaking to you about someone that you could extend his comfort to and you can ask him for his help in that today. The ushers will distribute the elements. The, the bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ, and the cup represents his shed blood. We ask that you hold on to those things until everyone's been served, and then we're going to join in those things together. But in these next few moments, would you examine yourself? And let's prepare ourselves to come to the Lord's table. God, again today, we thank you for your work. So God, in this moment, would you speak to us? Lord, would you help us to be reminded of the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, you may serve. Our chains are gone. Our debt is paid. The cross has
1 Corinthians chapter 11 is a passage that we read every time we do communion because it's Paul's instructions to us. Give it a little bit of different context because we've been taking a look at this church. Was the church in Corinth a perfect church? I was messed up. And some of you, and this is not an indictment, this is actually an expression of grace. Some of you find yourself in a place where death has messed you up. Don't think that, that the scriptures were already always written to somebody who had it all together. Paul's saying, hey, body of Christ, we're coming together here. For those of you that are grieving, for those of you that are struggling, Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we hold the bread in our hands. Jesus, thank you for the truth that that while we were still sinners, and even though we're still messed up, Christ died for us. Jesus, you gave your life so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could know your grace. We thank you for this today as we share in the bread together. In Jesus' name, let's share in the bread. the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes father thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ and as we share in the cup we remember Jesus blood blood that was shed so we could have light blood that was shed so we could have forgiveness what your word says blood that was shed so we could have healing and Jesus some of us need healing today some of it physical Lord some of us even emotional very personal because of grief remind us today that you are our healer in Jesus name sharing the cup together. Can I ask you to stand with me if you would please? And just as we uh, as we wrap up the service, if you'd say, Chad, can you can you pray for me? Because this season is is kind of tough and there's a lot of things that come back to my mind in this season and I need God's comfort in the midst of my disappointment or, or grief. Would you just remember me in this prayer today? Would you just raise your hand? If that's you, God, I need your comfort in this season. God, it's okay. Raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, it's between you and the Lord. Thank you. Lord, we come to you. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. So, Lord, you know those of us that wrestle with grief in this season. You know those of us, Lord, that are challenged by loss. Holy Spirit, would you speak not just the truth of your word, but the power of your spirit, would you be at work in our lives? Thank you, Jesus, that your death and resurrection brought death to death and life to us. So, Lord, would you bring comfort? Would you bring your grace? 
as we look to you. Thank you, Lord, that even though in seasons it may seem like we're messed up, that you come right alongside of us with your mercy and your grace. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for being here.